0: worth fighting for, church. It's the gospel. So in chapter 2, he he goes up to the council from Acts chapter 15, and he's debating with them about the sufficiency of faith alone for salvation. Also in chapter 2, he challenges Peter, another apostle, about the gospel. The gospel is worth fighting for. And then in Galatians 3, watch his tone. He says, oh, foolish Galatians. The Bible said that. Oh, foolish Galatians. Luther said it this way. Don't want to be a fool. This time around. Tonight. Okay. Saw the Luther fans done gone away. (laughs) Forgot how young this church is. Help me, Lord. 30 and up, 30 and up. But he says, You foolish Galatians, who has bewitched you? Or in other words, who has put you under a spell? Because before your eyes, Jesus Christ was publicly portrayed. You see, Paul understands that these Galatians have been walking in darkness when it comes to their pagan religion. They laid down this darkness and accepted the light and the beauty of Jesus Christ. But the problem is they have gone back into false doctrine, deception, and destruction. And the only word Paul can conclude for that is foolish Galatians. Who has put you under a spell? That's strong language. Denzel would say it this way, you've been tricked, you've been hoodwinked, you've been bamboozled. This is the language that Paul is trying to convey to this young church. Don't go adding stuff to the gospel. Leave the gospel alone because it is sufficient. Paul, as he's trying to lay this out for them, he then contrasts this rebuke with this. He says, for Christ was publicly portrayed before you. In other words, Paul is saying, I preach the gospel to you. He's not saying that the Galatians saw Christ crucified. This, 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 this publicly portrayed is a metaphor for how clearly Paul taught them the gospel. You see, Paul didn't go and teach them just a bunch of stuff. He labored that they would understand the gospel. He labored for them to understand that man was created in the image, in the likeness of God. He labored for them to understand although man was was, was created in the image of God, he fell with sin. And that this failure goes deep because man cannot save himself, so he is broken, he is destitute. He's hopeless. And not just that, but that for this this lost humanity, there's a judgment coming. And it is a righteous judgment. In other words, the wrath of God being poured out on the unrighteous or on the unjust, it's right because of sin. You see, your sin is weighty. There's judgment coming. All crimes will be punished. All infractions will be judged. I was talking to my wife last night about this, and and I I said to her, um, you know, one group of people that really don't understand the gospel are the angels. 1 Peter 1.12 says, it was revealed to them that they were not serving themselves, but you, talking about the prophets, when they spoke of the things that have now been told to you by those who preached the gospel to you by your Holy Spirit sent from heaven. Even the angels long to look into these things. The angels are sitting there thinking, why is God still fooling with them? When you want me to come back and and tear up shop? Didn't you send your son to die? Why are you waiting so long? The psalmist says it this way, what is man that God is mindful of us? Your humans that you created deserve judgment. Look how they live. Look how they blaspheme you. Look how they raise their fist at you. Look how they pay you no mind. And even your called out chosen ones, even the church, look at the exceeding sin within the walls of the church. What are you waiting for to execute your judgment on them? God says, another day. Look at the patience of God in Salvation. Can I pause and say, somebody this morning, God's been patient with you. God's been giving you chance after chance, after failure, after failure, mistake after mistake. He's been patient with you. And even when the angels don't understand, God is giving you grace that you and I don't deserve. We're hopeless without him, so what does he do? He sends Jesus. This is why he's a big deal. This is why we talk about him every week. And Jesus does for us on that cross what we can't do, and he declares us righteous. Not that you are righteous, but you've been declared righteous. You want to know where justification comes from? comes from the cross. You want to know where acceptance comes from? comes from the cross. And if you ever wonder, does God love me? Does God value me? Do I mean anything to him? Look at the cross. Look what he gave for you. Lord, may may we never tire of that. Paul says, I gave them a gospel. I gave them a portrayal of a crucified Christ. Paul is saying, I kept the cross before your eyes. I didn't preach to you a feel good message to tickle you and make you feel good about yourself. I gave you a bloody cross. So you will never get too prideful in the way you act. You would understand that it, if it had not been, For Christ dying on that cross. You would be lost. And how do I receive that? I receive that through grace, through faith. I receive that by faith. Galatians 3, verses 2 through 3 says this. Let me ask you, did you receive the Spirit by works of the law or by the hearing of faith? Are you so foolish? He calls him a fool twice. Are you so foolish, having begun in the Spirit, you are now being perfected by the faith by the flesh. What is Paul saying? How did you get saved? When you came to the cross, what did you bring? Did you bring your master's degree to the cross? You brought your ends to the cross? You brought your money to the cross? You brought your, 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 your powerful, uh, uh, savvy way of thinking and working through, you brought nothing to the cross. The cross laughs at our resume. You came, if you came, empty. You had nothing to offer him of value. And Christ dies and gives you your value and your worth and your esteem. Gives you what you don't deserve. So if you didn't start by bringing works to God, how are you going to get saved and then start bringing works and think that's enough to earn God's favor? If, if you didn't get yourself saved, how are you going to keep yourself saved? Now, this is unearthing for some of us so much that we, got that we were taught. I'm going to stay saved. No, God saves you and then God sustains you you don't have the ability to sustain yourself. If if he drops you, you dropped. God is the one that holds you in the faith. Hmm. Adding circumcision doesn't do anything for us. And this is what he's trying to tell the Galatians because the Galatians are believing, if I can just get circumcised, then I'll really be accepted by God. And it's easy for us to look at the Galatians and say, boy, them some silly people. That's the problem. If they were just a little bit wiser, then they wouldn't think like that. You mean you're trying to say if you can circumcise yourself, then God would accept you? And it's easy for us to look at them 2,000 years and just 2,000 years later and think, man, they are just dumb. But I got a question for you this morning. What is your functional circumcision? In other words, if the Galatians are believing that, that, man, yes, I've come to faith in Christ and and, and my faith alone saves me. His spirit is the one that saves me and his spirit is sustaining me, but but i got to help him out a little bit. i got to discover the real truth because that's too simple. So I'm going to add this thing called circumcision to prove to God how much I love him and how he should accept me because of that. If that's what the the Galatians are thinking, how are you and I 2,000 years later functioning? I want to read this quote. Christians think that we are saved by the gospel but then grow by applying biblical principles to every area of life. I'm not knocking biblical principles. But some of us believe Yes, the gospel saves us, but then i got to put these principles into practice to be accepted by God. Watch what this this quote says. But we are not just saved by the gospel. We grow by applying the gospel to every area of life. So when I asked you this morning, what is your functional circumcision? What is that thing that you functionally go to for your own worth and value and satisfaction and acceptance? Because here's the deal. This week, you're not going to be tempted to be circumcised. You're not. You're going to be tempted in some other way. And they're usually good things. Let me give you a few examples. For some of us, it's the search for understanding. Some of us, we, 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 we believe functionally, if I can just understand then everything will be fine. If I can just understand, then I'll have peace. I was talking to someone this week, and they were saying, Rodney, I'm just, I'm just, I, I just really need peace, and I believe if I just had clarity about what my calling is and what God was calling me to do, then I'll have peace. I'll be at rest. If I just understood that, I'll be fine. And I said, it, 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 it really doesn't work that way. You don't get peace by understanding what you're calling is." No, Rodney, look at you. You're a pastor. You're, 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 you're preaching. You're walking in your calling. That doesn't give you peace? I wanted to say, have you pastored a church? Peace? Even when you are, do- and this is the thing I dream of doing. Even when you're doing the thing you dreamt of doing, some of y'all know because you got that job and you're going there tomorrow. Some of y'all know even when you're doing what you've dreamt of doing, there's still this unrest in you. There's still this longing for something else that no amount of understanding would bring you the peace you're looking for. And I had to tell this person, peace is not something you look for, peace is found in someone. And when you understand Jesus has done for you what you can't do, and he takes you as is, and he takes you with your mess, and he takes you with your hang up, and he takes you with your past, and he accepts you as a son and a daughter, that that reality changes everything. Because then, even when I don't get the dream position, I'm still a son. I'm still his, and he's not leaving me. Even the best endeavors still leaves us longing. Peace doesn't come from understanding. Peace also don't come, some of y'all know this, from careers or education. I, am, I know this too. Ruth knows this. These don't come from edification. You can have more degrees in a thermometer. Your whole wall can be plastered with degrees, and you can tell the story. Well, I started in high school, and, and I got my AA. And I got, you you, you can just go on and on and on. You, you don't get full acceptance from there. Some of y'all know this, because you got degrees, but you didn't get the job you had the degree for. The careers, you... I'll say it again, this, this, this whole concept that if I can just get this position, if, if I can just climb to this place in my organization, when I see how people respect him or her, if I was in that position, then I'll command that kind of respect from people. But then when you get there, and you understand the weight of leadership is sometimes heavier than the weight of following. And you understand the same way you talked about them is the same way somebody else now is talking about you. You find, man, this is, this is not what I wanted. I don't feel at peace with this. I'm not accepted by these people, regardless of how talented I am. Beloved, you ain't never going to be accepted by everybody. That's what makes friendship critical. And when you get a friend, hold on to them, because they are hard to come by. That was for free. And with that career, you talk about money, and some of you think, man, if I can just get to six figures, that's it. <laughs> I just get to, I want $99,000. If I can just get 100000 that's it, I'm good. Beloved, y'all know this. I don't even have to teach this. Y'all know this. The gospel reminds us that there's not a separation between our careers and our faith I think we need to see all of life as worship and stewardship and discipleship and faith. So when I go on the job, I'm not looking for that job to validate me. I'm not looking for my supervisor just to utter the words that gets me the position I want. The words have already been uttered. This is my beloved son, daughter Whom I'm pleased, it is his words that bring us complete validation, not what somebody else says. That piece of paper won't do it either. Another thing that I think we functionally look for, I want to be careful how I phrase this, the idea of marriage. Notice I didn't say marriage. I want everybody in the room to be present. The idea of marriage. Because whether you are single, whether you are engaged, whether you are married, whether you are divorced, whether you are widowed, I'm talking to you about this idea of marriage. And here's what our culture tries to leak to us. If, if, If we can just get the marriage that we want, then I'll be at peace. I'll be good. I'll be accepted. I'll be a real Christian when I get the marriage I want. And if I don't have the marriage I want, then I must not be, uh, your, your, your Christianity is not based on your marital status. Even for my singles, this, this, this longing, this obsession that says, I'm incomplete now, but I'm working on it. I got to make myself more marketable. I have to look a little bit more hard, harder with, more, more precision. No, it doesn't, your, your acceptance, your validation doesn't come through that. This, this idea that if, if, if our marriage was where, or if I've lost my marriage, if I could just get my marriage back, or, or if I lost the, the person I was married to, then, then my life is utterly over. The gospel reminds us, for those of us in marriages, marriage is a service industry job. So much of marriage is not about you anyway. Hello, somebody. Hold on, Kai, don't you say hello, somebody, that loud. Hold oh on, wait a minute. I ain't supposed to hear you say that now. My daughter's birthday is tomorrow, and we were shopping, and I bought her a shirt that says, um, Fast Never Last. Fast Never Last. And, and I, I, I got, she came in this morning, gave me a hug for, for the shirt. And, and so we're talking. I said, do you know why I bought you that shirt? And she said, no, daddy, why? Because I want you to understand that fast never lasts. There are all kinds of shortcuts that you'll be tempted to take throughout life. And I want to remind you that that's not going to last. Like it's not those that, that, that necessarily always get there the quickest that has the most success. That, that what I want you to understand is the hand of the diligent prospers. It's the, it, it's the idea of getting up every day and doing the right thing over and over again. That's the thing that's going to bring a lasting impact in your life, right? I thought that was a good daddy moment. But she walked away, and I'm just looking over my message this morning, I'm thinking, oh, goodness, I missed it. I didn't give her the gospel. I gave her try harder. You see, I, I, I told her that if she's just faithful, You just do the right thing. You'll get there. You'll build this life that that is pristine and that that lasts. Some of y'all are thinking, Rodney, you're a father. What else are you supposed to tell her? I'm supposed to give her the gospel. Because this life is fleeting. So if I cast her up and 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 to have her put all of her faith and all of her hope and all of her her energy in, in what she can achieve and the life she can build, even though that's what I want for her, I have to come back and tell her, wait a minute, sweetie. No. First of all, you are already lasting because you confessed him as Lord. And so you will last forever. And when daddy dies, you will last forever. And when mama passes, you will last forever. You see, I need to root her in something that is more solid than the ups and downs of life. You see, I need to root her in understanding that, you know what, it's not that you're so good, sweetie. As a matter of fact, you ain't good enough. See the way you talk to Zion? You ain't good enough way you treated your brother you ain't good enough no no you are wretched and you are a sinner that is in desperate need of saving and so as you look at what Christ has done now build your life in light of that so when the degree comes and if it doesn't come you're still beloved and when you succeed and you don't succeed and if you get married or you never get married you're still beloved and you know what because of the gospel you're not just beloved by God You're beloved by dad. You see, in real life and in real time, we need to be the reflection of the gospel to our children. Parenting is another way if you didn't get to that slide yet. For the parents in the room, you've got to remember, you can't save your children. You can do all you can, but you can't save them. You can read books on parentings until your nose nosebleeds, can't save them. You can have three hour quiet times every evening, you can't save them. They can have more Bible books on their shelves than anything else. All you can do is be an example. God saves, good word for parents. So why do we do that, Rodney? Why do I have books on my shelf that point my children to Jesus? Why am I faithfully bringing them into the house of God? Why am I doing and exercising discipline? Well, it's because that's the life God called us to live. So we don't do those things thinking that those things will save our kids because God saves. But we do those things out of obedience and love for the God that saved us. And we pray with fervor, Lord, Save my children. Amen? Our goal is not to raise little morally happy, successful children so well together. Hope is that our children never need advice from everybody because they got all they needed from us. We raise our children dependent on God. Our goal is not just happy children. It's children whose heart are transformed by the gospel. Amen. (sighs) Lastly, and I'm done, telling a different story. Or actually, Family Matters. Family Matters. 30 and up. Stephen Q. Urkel. 30 and up. Anybody? Okay, just checking. Family Matters was a show that started in the late 80s, early 90s guy named Stephen Q. Urkel, his little cute family and the next door neighbor, Stephen Q. Urkel. He was the epitome of a nerd, thick glasses, high suspenders, high waters, never paid his water bill, just high waters all the time. And the, the, the whole deal was is he was annoying. And, and the person they had the most beef with was, his fa- was, was the father, Carl Winslow. And so Carl and Steve would butt heads all the time. The father and the outsider were butt heads all the time. And this is what the Judaizers are painting in Galatians, that Father Abraham and these Gentile Christians should be butting heads all the time. Why are they butting heads? Because they won't get circumcised. They're trying to convince them that the reason you're not fully in the family of God is because of this idea of circumcision. So they would probably quote scriptures like Genesis 17 to them. And in Genesis 17, verse 10, it says, this is my covenant, which you shall keep between me and you and your offspring after you. Every male among you shall be circumcised. And they would raise that text up and they would say, can't you see this? Every male needs to be circumcised. This is why you can't be in the family. Stephen Q. Urkel, get out of my house. You can't get in. But I love what Paul does. Paul goes back to the thing they are arguing, and he proves otherwise. Here's what Paul shows them. Paul quotes, instead of quoting Genesis 17, Paul quotes Genesis 15, verse 6, that says this, and he believed the Lord. He is talking about Abraham. And Abraham believed the Lord, and it was counted to him as righteousness. Abraham believed the Lord, and it was counted to him as righteousness. In other words, Abraham trusted, believed God, and that's how he got his righteousness. Before Genesis 17, there's Genesis 15. Here, he is putting faith in God. Here, he's doing some work out of that. The the faith comes before the work. In this book, I'm going to preach to you about how we should live, but, but before I get to the work, I gotta talk to you about the faith. You see, before this work, there, there was shown through Abraham a demonstration of his faith that he was declared righteous. Faith precedes work. But not just Abraham. For Noah, faith receive work, precedes works. For Jacob, faith came before works. For David, for Ruth, for Esther faith precedes work. Your most saved relative, which was my grandmother, for, 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 for grandma, faith precedes work. For your favorite preacher, for your saved mama, faith must precede work. For the greatest theologian ever, faith comes first. So we can't be caught up And tell God how good we were in our works. He's already declared you righteous by faith. Amen? Amen. Let's pray. Actually, I'm going to ask our prayer team to come. We want to offer prayer for anybody that wants it. This morning, where this message hits me personally is I am not justified because I'm your pastor. I'm not justified from my preaching. I'm not justified by my works, from my studies. I'm justified. I stand here today because. Christ's finished work. It's what he's done for us. And so this morning, wherever everyone's standing, wherever you're standing this morning as you stand,